I don't like this podcast. The host's voices are rough and coarse and irritating, and their opinions go everywhere. Welcome to Franchise Flicks. My name is Ted, and joining me are my co-hosts, Andy and Zach. On this podcast, we task ourselves with watching movie franchises, breaking them down, and reviewing them, including franchises we've seen and love, as well as franchises we've never seen and frankly avoided. Today, we're talking about our very favorite franchise, so one that we actually love here, Star Wars. But specifically, we're talking the prequel trilogy... We're breaking it up a little bit. We're doing the prequel trilogy now. We'll hit the OT and the sequel trilogy at some other point. Uh, So this portion of the series tells the story of Anakin Skywalker, a powerful but whiny young Jedi who would later become one of the most badass characters in the Star Wars galaxy. But don't confuse him with his son, Luke, who's also a powerful but whiny young Jedi who would later become one of the most badass characters in the Star Wars galaxy. It's like poetry. It rhymes. Uh, So this series includes 1999's The Phantom Menace, 2002's Attack of the Clones, and 2005's Revenge of the Sith. So like always, we like to start off with our own individual experience level with each franchise, and this one we're super well-versed in, Uh, but I'll ask Andy to take it away with uh, his experience with Star Wars. So starting with the prequels in particular, right? Because Star Wars movies existed before this, but the prequels comes out 99, eight years old. This would have been in May. I got to watch it on bootleg VHS uh, sometime between May and like July, I want to say, of 99. It was really difficult to watch that bootleg video, but I did. Uh, And it didn't really matter because like as bad as the movie was at the perception, uh, I didn't care about anything related to the movie. It was all like Jedi uh, Star Wars as an idea, less so about the movies. And this was like another element of it anyways. Um, The next two movies come out and I don't really care for them. I don't think I actually saw uh, either Attack of the Clones or Revenge of the Sith in theaters at the time. So uh, just because it it didn't interest me enough, the perception was bad. Uh, my interest in Star Wars wasn't strong enough um, to want to go see those movies at the time. Um, movies weren't even like a thing I really wanted to go do either. Just that phase in my life was watching movies um, would much rather play like video games or something like that, you know. Uh, but then like these kind of like faded away and then coming back to revisit these for the the podcast uh, as more of like a, a critical view but also like reliving my overall joy for star wars uh is a really fun thing to do so i'm excited to get to talk about it with you guys uh what about you zach well boys here we are today we take a bold step forward 
and put Star Wars commentary in the hands of the franchise flicks crew. Star Wars is very near and dear to my heart. In the past five years or so, I've become quite the fanatic. I've always liked Star Wars, but I didn't know Star Wars. Now, I saw the original trilogy as a kid, and I was infatuated with the, the, the prequels when they came out. Um, I, I actually, I, I do remember seeing these in theaters. I, I was a big uh, Star Wars fan at the time. But I didn't like really know Star Wars at that point. You know, I remember playing uh, the uh, Jedi Power Battles for PS One, one of the best games I've ever played. Uh, the original Star Wars Battlefront Two, you know, for PS Two, um, with all the you could play all the heroes. Like that's the stuff that I remember from like the prequel era. Um, it was all about Jedi at that point you know, in, in my Star Wars fandom. So as I got older, you know, in the discourse of Star Wars and the, in the prequel trilogy in particular, you know, kind of soured, um, you know, my fandom and in, in intrinsic desire to basically be a Jedi uh, had waned. Um, I was convinced by society and myself that the prequels were terrible movies and star wars was generally overrated right that's that's kind of what happened around that time you know and then it just kind of lost interest and then but come 2015 the star wars came back the force awakens now at that point like i don't even remember I, i i didn't actually see it in the theaters i didn't see uh the force awakens in the theaters i didn't see a star wars movie in the theaters until rogue one and that's what really like because I was I liked the original trilogy better, so I was like, oh, this this should this should resonate with me a little better, and uh, and it did, and it brought me into a whole new world. I uh, I was very critical of the of the Force Awakens, but Rogue One was like it was a super super good movie that brought me right back into it. Um, and then I decided to read Aftermath, the Chuck Wendig series. From that point, I was hooked. And I dedicated a large amount of time to catching up and continuing my consumption of Star Wars material. I just wanted to know everything. So that's my, uh, that's my, my Star Wars story. Man, you can hear the passion. Um, <laughs> I, I mean... Mine's Prepare pretty remarks, similar, by the way. But mine's pretty similar. I, I think it's kind of like a mix of both of yours. So my my first introduction to Star Wars was probably similar to a lot of people's. Uh, I remember this one Christmas, probably 1997, 1998, my dad for Christmas bought me both uh, the Star Wars uh, special edition trilogy, that gold box with Vader on the front. Um, and then also uh, the original Planet of the Apes movies. So we spent the entirety of my Christmas break running through Star Wars and Planet of the Apes, and I loved it. Mm. And I especially connected with Return of the Jedi. Not my favorite today, but at the time it was very fun. You know, uh, people complain about the Ewoks, but those were adults who were complaining about the Ewoks. I was a kid. I connected with the Ewoks. I also just loved action in it. It was awesome. Just... And probably uh, 
a little bit of a sexual awakening was happening too every time I saw the uh, Leia in Jabba's palace scene. So, you know, I, I probably didn't realize why I was going back to it for that reason too. Um, but then come the prequel era. So this is like right after, you know, uh, Phantom Menace comes out in 1999 and I was watching these movies in 97, 98. For some reason, the Phantom Menace, I saw it pretty soon after. And I, I was never like going to the movies. I didn't see any of these in the movie theater, but I remember running the VHS and it just like didn't hit for me. I don't know why. Um, like a lot of people my age were really connecting with this movie in particular because this was their Star Wars at the time. Like, like you said, Andy, whether it was good or bad, I didn't have a critical eye or anything at that time. I just wasn't connecting with it for some reason. It, it felt weird to me and I, I still can't even put my finger on what it was exactly. So, like, then my interest started to fade a little bit, and, you know, I always liked Star Wars, but it was just kind of on the back burner to other stuff, like, you know, I was into Dragon Ball Z, a bunch of other stuff at that time. Uh, I don't remember if I ever saw Attack of the Clones as a kid, and then, uh, similar to what you were saying about the bootleg VHS, Andy, for uh, Phantom Menace, I saw Revenge of the Sith on a bootleg DVD that my buddy got from his mom. His mom would go to New York City for work. And she had this guy she bought bootleg DVDs from, yeah. which I always oh, pictured man. as like some kind of street alley transaction. And uh, imagine an age, man. Yeah. And I remember watching it and it like just didn't look good because it was like unfinished CGI a lot of times. And um, you, you'd have like the tracking numbers on the bottom. Yep. And yeah, it was very weird. And uh, I, I just didn't connect with that movie either. I remember it. I remember a lot of lava at the time, uh, specifically from the Mustafar battle. But uh, yeah, I never connected with the trilogy, uh, the prequel trilogy, like people from my age group should have. But like Zach, I really reconnected with Star Wars. When I first saw, I remember seeing the trailer for the first time for Force Awakens. Like, whether or not Force Awakens was a great movie, kind of irrelevant as far as, like, me getting back into it because just the way the trailer was shot and cut was so awesome. I'm like, holy shit. I, I never thought Disney would ever be able to, like, do a Star Wars movie in the way that it was being presented in that trailer. So I was immediately intrigued and saw it and it was okay. You know, like you said, not the greatest movie ever, but th that kind of got me into, like you said, just, uh, well, Disney's making this new universe of like canon material. I never connected with this EU stuff that everybody else did. Uh, so I have a chance to reconnect with star Wars and take in all of this material and I, I was just all about it. So, like, reading the books, uh, I don't read. I, I should say listening to the books, audiobooks. Um, reading the comics, that's what I will read because at least the thing that I have to think about is just illustrated for me. I don't have to think beyond dialogue. So, it, it's really ignited my love for Star Wars as well. And, uh, yeah, it, it's interesting how obsessed we are with it now compared to when we were kids. It was like... An interest for all of us but maybe not the strongest thing as far as our interests in our lives so it's really interesting to see where we've all come from and where we are today very similar well and it's it's funny because we all kind of like had an a sort of awakening um in star wars sometimes 
Uh, Zach a little delayed. We get into Rogue One, but at least with this, you know, this rebranding of Star Wars under the Disney umbrella. And uh, we all like this new content going forward. We can agree that the quality of the content, whether you like the sequel trilogy or not, it's the quality of the overall content that Disney is putting out now with Star Wars as its label that we're really, really enjoying. Like it's putting it to the next level. So in some ways, it's like, yes, the prequels is a thing that happened and we can have our opinions on it based on how we experienced it. Like it wasn't cool to like Star Wars, too, because of that in some ways. So I know it's like uh, a young male. That's something you you want to try to avoid is not looking cool sometimes. So, uh, all right, you you try not doing the things that look uncool. Uh, like maybe watching Star Wars. So uh, today you think about these movies and how it is kind of cool. Like we want to do these things. Uh, it's the in now to um, to be a geek, to be a nerd. So, yeah, I'm all for it. Let's keep giving us Star Wars. The prequels exist as a part of it. And we'll we'll get to talk about it today and all of its great greatness and some other things. <laughs> <laughs> Good finish there. Uh, <laughs> um, well, before we really get into the discussion here, I've got a quick synopsis like we usually do. We're not going to do one for each movie, just one of the overall series. So Star Wars creator George Lucas combines political intrigue and poop jokes in his telling of the rise and fall of Anakin Skywalker. We follow Anakin on his journey from immaculately conceived slave boy on a desert planet to whiny genocidal teenager then to an adult who betrays the Jedi Order in an attempt to save his wife, all to end up as a burn victim who's more machine than man. Along the way, we're given an inside look at the fall of the rigid Jedi Order, the rise of an eventual emperor whose evil head turns should probably tell everybody that he's a Sith immediately, and a plethora of fan service that will eventually bring us to the beginning of A New Hope. Join us as we discuss the first trilogy chronologically in a series that is beloved by not just the men, but the women and the children, too. I had to throw that in there. I'm sorry. Well done. Well done. It was, it was passionate. Thank you. Thank you. I, I tried to go with as many puns and uh, quotes from this as I could with all of this, because... It's a huge meme, yeah, you have, the prequels. You have the most uncharitable description of Darth Vader's lineage and timeline. <laughs> yeah, it, it works. It works. It It's not wrong. It's just very uncharitable. Yeah, it, and I don't mean to do that to shit on it, <laughs> because there are a lot of things that I like in the prequel trilogy. I will say it's probably my weakest overall, uh, as far as how I feel about Star Wars, but... I think there are great moments in it, but I also try to put too many jokes in these synopses. So that, that's really where that all comes from. But it, it's very literal, too. So um, It works. But, you know, speaking of uh, the rise and fall of Anakin Skywalker, let's start talking characters. And uh, the first one, the most important character, Anakin Skywalker, played by two actors, uh, a young Jake Lloyd, and uh, Hayden Christensen, and both of them have gotten a bit of hatred over the years uh, for their portrayals of uh, the eventual Darth Vader. Uh, it seems like Hayden Christensen has kind of come around full circle, uh, both because 
these movies have become such a meme that people kind of memed them into maybe being better than they are, which is fine. And that the memes are fun. I love the prequel memes subreddit. Uh, I love all of that stuff. And, uh, you know, people are being a little more forgiving because they're realizing that uh, dialogue was an issue. Uh, you know, George Lucas can be the one who you would blame for that because he doesn't seem to really know how to write for humans. Um, <laughs> so, <laughs> you know, that's part of it, too. Uh, but... I don't know. What are you guys' initial thoughts on, uh, you know, Anakin, whether it's Jake Lloyd or Hayden Christensen, wherever you guys want to start off? So, like, starting with the prequel trilogy, specifically the Phantom Menace, like how it like comes together, because you're, you're two different Anakins, right? You're trying to tell this character's story, but you're going to get introduction one in the first movie and introduction number two in the second movie. So with introduction number one, it's like it's a kid. In the behind the scenes footage um, on one of the I can't remember which one documentary thing it is, uh, but they they show you the the casting um, and the auditions for the role of Anakin Skywalker. And there were actor child actors who did a, a way better performance of like a more realistic what you would expect for a kid, a young Anakin Skywalker. Uh, and George didn't like that. He liked what he saw that um, Jake was able to do with this young, not really like realistic kid. You know, the more movie, the more intended to be for a child to to look up to, not adults looking at a child. Um, and I think that disconnect in Star Wars caused a huge issue because he was trying to make a a kids movie. Um, and there were a lot of adults that were expecting something differently. And so that that really does not help out the actor, uh, which is a shame for people to do this when we um, bully and we uh, do horrible things and say terrible things about the actors when they had no control over it. They're just doing their jobs, which is acting. This happened to be a kid, which is absolutely terrible. Uh, and then, like you said, Ted, with uh, Hayden Christensen, like he's kind of like accepted things and whatnot for uh, how the fan base is, you know, treated him and whatnot. Um, but like it's all ties back to George Lucas. It's not this character. There could have been a better on screen version of them. Um, but George Lucas just didn't let it happen because he had his version. And that's what we got. Yeah, I almost feel like we should like talk about george lucas before even talk about these characters because yeah. i think he has such a huge impact on how this trilogy was perceived by the masses you know i he decided that he was going to direct uh, write and direct right. all three direct. movies um and he's more of a big picture kind of guy you know he's <laughs> He's not the he's not you know he's not the details man. Uh, he is like he he provides tons and tons of details for his universe, um, but his characters sometimes are better left to um, other writers, and you can see that like in um, you know in in a lot of the books that are written, um, you know characters can be really mishandled or handled really well. 
Um, and I think that's probably the biggest criticism of this trilogy is the way that George handled his characters. Um, that being said, uh, I'm actually, I, I actually really like Hayden Christensen as Anakin Skywalker. Um, I, I remember like, yes, in attack of the clones, he's almost unbearable, uh, his, in, in his dial, you know, some of the monologues that he has. Um, but you know, I think he actually does a great job um, at, at at transitioning the character from Anakin Skywalker to Darth Vader, um, and I think that that goes overlooked. Like there are plenty of cringe Anakin Skywalker moments. There is no shortage of that. But I think that he really he does a good job at portraying, despite the lack of. Um, uh the 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 lack of direction from george like in in terms of the 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 exposition that he allows anakin skywalker to show his transition from anakin skywalker to darth vader he actually um helps that transition with his with his portrayal of Anakin, you know, and um, so I, I, I actually really like Hayden Christensen, and I, I just you, you gotta feel bad for Jake Lloyd. I mean, he nobody liked Anakin in the Phantom Menace, but um, you know, it's not his fault. He got he got a real uh, shit end of the stick on that one. Yeah, it, I don't know what people expected from him specifically, though. Like he acted the way a child actor would. I didn't think he was any worse or any better than any given child actor other than like if you want to compare him to somebody who was like a prolific child actor like Haley Joel Osment, you're probably not going to get the same level of performance. But he's fine. He's a kid and he's delivering some crappy lines like let's try spinning. That's a neat trick. Now this is podcast or not. Now this is podcasting. Now this is pod racing. Uh, I, I think there's a podcast actually called that, which uh, good on them for getting that name. Um, Is that our opening tag? Maybe. I don't know if they'd get mad about that, though. Um, but yeah, it, it's just like, as far as that, you, you're really going to hate on a child for, you know, acting like a child would. I don't think there are good child actors, and if they are, they're probably sociopaths. Um, then, <laughs> wow. Yikes! Well, hot you know, take. Yeah, hot take. Because no, because there are good childhood actors, and I and you just call them so. And they're all sociopaths. Well, you know, it, it, if if they're that easily able to uh, envelop somebody else uh, and put away their own character, I don't know. I, I don't think a child should be able to do that as well. Um, <laughs> Either way, uh, but but as far as Hayden Christensen, yeah, you're right. Attack of the Clones is unbearable. A big part of that's dialogue. Uh, another big part of that is his delivery isn't great, but definitely in Revenge of the Sith, he elevates it a lot, and that's both from maturity and I think kind of what you were alluding to, Zach, like a better understanding of who he was portraying in this movie. He's portraying Anakin Skywalker at the beginning, but slowly turning into Darth Vader throughout the movie, slowly being obsessed with power and obsessed with uh, protecting those he loves and 
That's what eventually leads to that. And he's like significantly less wooden and stiff in that movie. He's actually got really good chemistry with Ewan McGregor. Um, It's just not nearly as bad as people want to say it is for Revenge of the Sith. And say what you want about Attack of the Clones. It's probably my least favorite Star Wars movie of all time. Um, But yeah, he gets significantly better in that last movie. It is better, but I'll push back on just the not even it might not be your guys's opinions but like this anakin pedestal that exists in some of the star wars fan base where they just like they absolutely love this character and i can't i don't, I just don't see it I, I can't connect with it um and no fault to hayden christensen as the actor and i think it is a much better portrayal of anakin in revenge of the sith however i don't buy the story of anakin skywalker from the prequel trilogy I don't like what George wrote. I, I, you're supposed to care about the fall of Anakin Skywalker. And I don't because I don't like Anakin. I don't actually think he's someone to like look up to and try to be like because he doesn't listen to authority figures. Um, he's like not doing what he's supposed to be doing. He's like whiny and uh, it, it complains like the attack of the clones, I think, r- really harms who Anakin uh, is. We don't get to see what makes him to be so great. And by the time you get to see some version of that from Hayden Christensen, it's too late. It's the last movie. He's gone after that. I can see where you're coming from, but I also, I think that, um, I mean, I don't, Anakin Skywalker is not a, he's actually not one of my favorite characters in, in star Wars. Uh, I, I agree. I mean, it's, it's not, uh, he there is a Anakin pedestal, but I don't I don't necessarily agree that there should be one. Um, and I also don't like I don't I don't know that he has to be great either. I don't and and that's what I don't like Anakin either. But that's what makes it so believable that he can become Darth Vader. Uh, he's he's corrupt almost immediately when we see him. Like he's a child, but you can you can even see the foreshadowing of the Darth Vader figure. Um I think that wait, hold on. You see Darth Vader in Jake Lloyd's Anakin Skywalker? Sure, his intense his intense love for his mother and to protect her from everything, right? Even from it's it's I will the determination in in him uh you know his uh, weird obsession with Padme um like He's his, got an Oedipus complex. Perhaps uh, you can you can put it as that. Um, but he, the the actual underlying Darth Vader motives you can see in in the Phantom Menace. Um, it not the not just the brooding surface level character of the evil Darth Vader, but the actual underlying motives of Darth Vader, and oh, it's exposed throughout sure. the trilogy. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. But my point is, I don't buy it. Okay. So his love for his mother, like this, like, so the whole thing is like this love for his mother. Right. Um, And wanting to save her. He knows that's the thing. Like, but I don't feel bad for this character. I don't feel bad that he's going through that despite all of these tragedies, because he's not doing a good job of me feeling bad for him because he's doing things he shouldn't. Why do you need to feel bad for him to like him? Well, I think you have to be able to connect to the character to 
it not necessarily even feel bad for him, but I think you do have to feel something for him as far yeah. as like who he was before and who he becomes, because you really only get Jake Lloyd acting as him as a kid, which he's an innocent kid for the most part, other than like if you watch the uh, deleted scenes, he does beat up Greedo. He beats up Greedo. He's uh, pretty intense there. So, uh, you know, maybe that's a little foreshadowing into who he's going to become. But good, it, good point. It's hard to connect, like Andy's saying, to that Anakin Skywalker character in Attack of the Clones, specifically. Uh, you know, something I wanted to bring up, and I'll probably just bring it up now because uh, it connects to this. I never buy the Anakin Padme relationship in Attack of the Clones, specifically. Like. By the time you get to Revenge of the Sith, it's already established, and I can ingest it a little better, and they're both acting better and everything like that. But what leads to it, I don't see how she can fall in love with this guy who, coming off, is very creepy, very horny. Um, it, he's just so weird and he, he does things that would be considered today in our society sexual harassment and you know for some reason Padme allows him to do it despite the fact that she says she's uncomfortable it's like the classic case of annoy the person into loving you and like how she gets from point A to point B where she's saying before they go out into the Coliseum, I love you. And, you know, my, my heart has been aching the whole time you've been back. Like, I don't believe it because she tells him he's creepy. And he also tells her that he just slaughtered an entire village of Tuscan Raiders. As, <laughs> and as, not just the men, but the women and the children, too. Exactly. Like, in as much as I can feel for him, like, okay, they killed, they tortured and killed your mother. I don't think anybody as smart as Padme is supposed to be and as empathetic as she is supposed to be would let something like that be overlooked to the point where she will marry and eventually bear the children of this guy who, again, murdered an entire village when he is a teenager. That's just me. Agreed. I can't disagree with that. Yeah. It, Attack of the Clones, like you said, Andy, does a real disservice to the Anakin Skywalker character. If, if there were one movie to remake in that series, if you could, it would be that one. Uh, I, yeah. Just to do more things and better things to make you connect. Because, like Zach said, there are pieces that allude to the eventual Darth Vader but they're really like just forced in there. It's like just lines like, okay, he loves his mother, but you don't really like feel that very much. It's really just Jake Lloyd delivering a line in uh, Phantom Menace. And then you feel it a little more in Attack of the Clones, but you can't connect with Anakin Skywalker as a character to begin with. And I don't know. It's just really hard to reconcile like, okay, these things are there, you can see the ideas that are being placed in here. And like, technically he put the foreshadowing pieces in there, but he didn't execute on them. Lucas did. Yeah. He that like, uh, we could get into like a whole, a whole thing with this. This could be a whole, I don't want to get into like plot and stuff like that with it, but, uh, um, yeah. 
I mean, I would just, I would just argue that I, I, I don't think you have to connect to a character to appreciate the arc of a character. Uh, it's, it, I think Anakin goes through a very clear character arc from Anakin Skywalker to Darth Vader, and I think that Hayden no, Christian that's the City, part, Zach. I disagree. It is not. I don't believe it. It's not that I am not connecting with it. I don't believe it. I don't believe the fall. I don't buy it. I mean, I guess I mean that's just a point of disagreement then. Yeah, I mean, that's a that's yeah. a, that's what we're saying. Yeah, and that's fine. Um, you know, I was just going off of Ted's point of connecting to Anakin Skywalker, and I don't think you can connect to Anakin Skywalker. It's he's he's supposed to be this one very unique individual in the galaxy. Um, you know, he's not he's not your your average Luke Skywalker, <laughs> you know, uh, that that you that you know George wrote to connect to. Anakin is a totally different character. Um, and uh, so I don't think that you're you can connect to a character like that. Um, but I do think that there are there are there is evidence of um the the arc from Anakin Skywalker to Darth Vader, in my opinion, but. Um, yeah. But moreover, I appreciate Hayden Christensen's portrayal, I think, more than most people do. Um, I think he actually did a pretty decent job. Yeah, it can't be placed squarely on his show. From what I've heard in other movies, uh, unfortunately, this mostly ruined his career uh, because of the negative energy attached to this and being attached to such a big franchise. Uh, I, I mean, look at uh, Mark Hamill and uh, Carrie Fisher. They, they both had great careers in their own right in different ways but like as far as being movie stars they were good uh universally accepted as good in the original trilogy and they weren't able to escape these characters it's even worse for somebody who people see in a negative light uh to yeah. escape that so like yeah, it, it's awesome that we will be getting him in some capacity in the new obi-wan series but like it took a long time for that to happen and it's uh unfortunate uh, and rumor rumor has it that he's going to be a big, uh, potentially big character. Like that, we are going to get more uh, Darth Vader than we might have previously thought, mm. um, based on some things that have been said about uh, production and whatnot. So we'll see. I think how much more of Anakin stories continues. But at least for me, I don't. I don't like Anakin's story in the prequels. Well, that's a good transition into Obi Wan Kenobi, uh, his master. This is a difficult one, too, because we've got another character who is portraying a younger version of a character that we see in the original trilogies. Got Sir Alec Guinness, a great actor, playing him in the original trilogy, and they couldn't have cast this better for the prequel, honestly. Throughout the entirety of the prequels, Ewan McGregor, he is like the one thing that keeps it going for me as far as acting. He is just going above and beyond to try to make a lot of this really crummy dialogue work. And, like, he puts so much emotion into all of it, and you feel from his end more than you do from Anakin's, specifically in Attack of the Clones, like, how he feels about Anakin Skywalker as a student, as a friend, everything like that. Does a really good job of that, and he definitely, like, brings it to a head when they have the duel on Mustafar in, uh... Revenge of the Sith. I, I love the emotion that he displays. And, like, even though you... A, a big criticism is that you don't get a lot of, like, 
the actual examples of friendship and the things that they've gone through in this trilogy. You get a lot more of that in the animated series, The Clone Wars. But it happens in an elevator scene. That's true. And they talk about they talk about that business on Cato Nymodia too, uh, when they're getting off the ship. So, yeah, it's unfortunate the way that was executed. Unfortunately, Uh, that I I think again, uh, something that I had a problem with uh, with the sequel trilogy is like, why are you hampering yourself with this trilogy nonsense? You don't have to do a trilogy just because you did it the first time. You don't have to follow the same format. If we maybe got one more movie where you can flesh out more of that dynamic between them, people would maybe appreciate their friendship and their brotherhood more. Because that's something that you're supposed to get from this is like not only the fall of Anakin Skywalker, but like the fall of a friendship and a brotherhood that leads to these two old men sadly <laughs> dueling on the Death Star. Um not in the way that they duel before that. And like that there are canon reasons to explain all of that, why they look so bad in that duel. But um, I don't know. What do you guys think about Obi-Wan? I mean, Ewan McGregor is the star of these movies, you know, without a doubt. Um, I mean, he just, he just performs so far above everybody else in these films. Um, and you know it's funny he we always like quote his lines too you know because like even though the dialogue you know it, the it's proclaimed the dialogue is terrible you know Ted I know you that you you're very harsh on this dialogue and I get it but we always quote his lines you know that it's at the end of the day it's still campy Star Wars dialogue um, you know this is a little more juvenile than the original trilogy. I think it's fair to say. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, the Obi-Wan character, I love so much. Um, you know, you you see uh, his origins from his master in uh, in in the Phantom Menace. Um, and then you get to see him as the as the master to Darth Vader. Um, but I think what's really cool is that they take a character from the original trilogy that's really only in in one movie. Um, and, and this is what Star Wars does so well is they ex- expand, um, on an, a single idea and really Obi-Wan Kenobi is not much more than an idea in the original trilogy. You know, Alec Guinness was phenomenal, but th- he didn't get a ton of screen time. I think he's kind of overhyped in, uh, in, in a way in the original trilogy. And so to expand it with you and McGregor in the, in the prequels, um, I think is, is, um, the, I think it, George actually executed Obi-Wan the best out of anything else he did in the prequels. Um, so that's my take on Obi-Wan. Uh, yeah, I, I think we can all agree that, El, or, uh, Ewan McGregor is like the saving grace of the prequel trilogy in terms of like, finding something really good and that you can look back on, remember enjoying uh, and agree today that like, yeah, that character still works and whatnot. Uh, I think especially for like the, the Disney star Wars, we haven't mentioned the clone wars uh, animated show at all uh, really with the podcast, but all that show does a really great job of 
making you like all these characters if you you know aren't able to connect to any of them because it expands on their stories think about that how crazy it is wow you tell more and we like it uh but with obi-wan in particular i think like you make yeah yeah he just like hits it he, he captures it i believe that this is obi-wan kenobi um it makes sense as a, a character that can turn into the Al Guinness version that we see in uh, the original trilogy. Cause he says, uh, I'm getting too old for this. And uh, I can see, you know, Al Guinness uh, when he says the line and Ewan McGregor and it's like, yep, makes sense. Total, totally buy it. Um, one thing though, that I, I don't like is in the Phantom Menace, uh, he's barely used. And if there was anything that I think could have made even that movie just more like, uh, we'll just make it better, honestly, is if you had all those characters interacting together, like get Obi-Wan with Anakin right away, uh, you know, Master and Padawan with this like another Padawan. I'm thinking like Indiana Jones uh, and uh, what's the, the kid's name uh, from Temple Short of Doom? Run what short round yeah short round like he can be like the short round character and like their antics and like what's going on and you know like participating and creating this like new set of drama instead it's like Qui-Gon Jinn is on his own thing so you don't like really get that relationship going in the first movie there's like no interaction uh between the two of them for the entire movie pretty much uh until the ending so I think like that's a missed opportunity to expand on the character to make me like buy into this. And then uh, it, when the character of Qui-Gon Jinn dies, now you have both of those characters um, caring about it and having each other to rely on. So I, it m- more believable again, in, in terms of how these characters end up becoming who they are later down the road. But like we, we all agree that uh, Ewan knocks out of the park. Yeah, I mean, if I could just it, it, my my only thing about what you're saying about the the Phantom Menace is that you know a um, a big part of Obi Wan's arc is that he did not want to take on Anakin as a as a Padawan. Um, he did not think it was a good idea. He thought that Qui Gon should not be going against the the Council's decision. And I mean, this might be getting a little too far into the weeds, but I think that without that dynamic uh, at the beginning. You don't see uh, the the growth, and and I agree. I think I, I I wish I saw more growth between the Phantom Menace and um, Attack of the Clones in terms of the relationship between Obi Wan and Anakin. Um, but you wouldn't you wouldn't see really any of the growth and conflict between the two of them um, by the end of Revenge of the Sith. Um, so I think that I think that actual the the their their meeting and their their origin is necessary to set the tone um for their relationship going uh, forward you, you could have done something he can still like disagree with it like that you know like he can still not agree that they've got this kid with him but Qui-Gon Jinn agree you know like says no like no Obi-Wan like uh, uh high midichlorian count you saw it you know uh he's I I sense uh, something strong in the force with this one you know uh to to make it and then Obi-Wan can still disagree with that you know he doesn't have to follow his master. And you can tell tell a more story that includes the characters instead of George Lucas's The Phantom Menace, which like tries to tell way too many stories and too many planets and all flying around the galaxy. Yeah, no, I definitely agree with that. 
Um, I I just think it's it, it's unsurprising uh, their their dynamic to me at the at, in uh, in the Phantom Menace. I think, I think like I, I think my point is like you're giving too much credit. Like oh George, like yeah, he just he didn't really d- give the relationship to Obi Wan and Anakin. It makes perfect sense, and it's like no, he, there was probably like actually a lot more, and they cut out so much from this movie, and probably some of it was like interacting with anakin i'm sure and like some other side adventure that they should have been going on maybe maybe i i, I don't there i don't know that any of the content in, that we actually got leads me to believe that but well because no, the cut is it's like i i don't know man this movie's cut very poorly so yeah uh, you definitely get a hyper focus on qui-gon jinn and that's probably because he doesn't last beyond this movie um so why why don't we go into him unless you guys have any more on uh, Obi-Wan. Uh but Qui-Gon another standout uh obviously he only shows up in the Phantom Menace but between him and Ewan McGregor it's really jarring when you see the acting performances from everybody else around them compared to the two of them. Uh, Liam Neeson is such a great actor. He is probably too good for Star Wars, to be honest, like yep. it, just the level of actor he is. I mean, specifically, you think about like Schindler's List, something like that. He is just a, a phenomenal actor. Um, and it's unfortunate that you only get him for the one movie, but he leaves a lasting impact for a guy who's only in one movie. It, he really leaves an impact on both the universe and uh, the audience at large, too. Everybody wants to know more about him and like. The last little piece we get about him is when Yoda says, uh, Qui-Gon, uh, talked to me from the dead, essentially, and told me how you can transcend, uh, life beyond, uh, or, uh, transcend into the force beyond your life. Um, so he's a really interesting character, and I love the fact, uh, that he's written to be this one character who's not nearly as rigid as the rest of the Jedi Order. He's very... I'd say, like, more of a hippy-dippy kind of guy compared to the rest of uh, the Jedi Order. He's kind of fast and loose with everything, and he's one of those guys who pushes the limits of what he can do. And, uh, you know, he's more of a, you know, ask for forgiveness later rather than permission kind of guy. And, uh, you know, that's essentially what gets Anakin Skywalker into the Jedi Order in the first place. Uh, Leads us down the road that we're on. I think Qui-Gon, another underrated character to come out of the the prequel trilogy, that it's a shame it's only in one movie, but it makes sense for the the story, at least in this case. You got to kill off the master to give us motivation to go forward. Uh, But he knocks it out of the park, another example of it. And in particular, the scene where they're working on repairing the pod, um, (laughs) the, like he's like just like around the children like saying like come on like we gotta hurry up and like do these things and like i believe his line like i'm like yeah that's qui-gon like doing like jedi stuff over there i don't like all the kid stuff happening and it like takes you out of it but for like that brief moment you're like yeah that's a jedi right there I, i'm cool with it uh awesome job and then i love to the um commentary from is it the mandalorian season one or one something with Dave Filoni and he's just talking about like what the Phantom Menace uh, means and Duel of the Fates, the song that it's like 
uh, all about Qui-Gon, you know, wanting to uh, take the chosen one and do something with him. And that's the the battle is what happens now. Uh, does he win? Does he lose? What is the, the fate of it? Um, so I think like it's cool to see like the story that is there. Uh, just what George put on screen isn't the best. And uh, Qui-Gon was good, though. So sweet. Yeah. Yeah. Qui-Gon is is uh, one of my uh, it, he's my favorite Jedi uh, from the prequel trilogy. Easily my favorite Jedi from the prequel trilogy. And Liam Neeson um, obviously plays a big part in that. Um, I, I really like his story. I really like the you know, to my to my earlier point, I, I, I really like his influence on both Anakin and Obi-Wan. Um, I think that his influence impacts their relationship um, a ton moving forward. He teaches both of them different things, um, even in the short period of time that we see them. Um, and I'm definitely overly charitable to these movies, without a doubt. Um, but, you know, you can you can read between the lines and really see the um you know the story within and i think that qui-gon was a big part of that um in the like i said in the story specifically of anakin and obi-wan um yeah really cool character you know not not really much more to add that than uh that you guys said well uh speaking of qui-gon let's talk about uh a guy who owes him a life debt and that's jar jar binks um i don't have a ton to say about like the Jar Jar Binks character because it wasn't written for me. I get that. I don't like it, but I know it wasn't written for me. You have to watch these movies with the lens that like specifically this trilogy, George had a very big focus on making this more accessible to kids. And, you know, good for him. Uh, he didn't necessarily do it in the right ways. And uh, I question uh, George's sense of humor as far as what he thinks a child would think is funny. Because I don't... It, this was another thing that I didn't connect with as a child was like, Jar Jar's not funny. I don't get it. What's the deal? Um, he's just a klutz. But the more I watch these movies, I, I used to think it was ridiculous when people started cropping up all those rumors of Darth Jar Jar and he's the one behind everything. He keeps stumbling ass backwards into positions of power throughout this trilogy. And I, I really wonder how he does it. Like what influence he has over people. Cause they just like let him do stuff. So like he's basically exiled at the beginning of this movie from his own society. And then Later on, they welcome him in with open arms just because he led the Jedi and uh, the Nabooans to the um, Gungans to make their little treaty and work together. He's given a general position. He is made a general. Why? You don't just do that. You don't just give yeah, Ted, that to him. Ted, look at the United States Congress. Ask these same questions. All right. About who's qualified All right, you know to what? serve in certain elected positions. That's what George Lucas is doing with the elect with what happens well, to Jar Jar. That's it's fair. A commentary on fair, okay. really democracy. Elected. He that's was. Fair. Was he elected? I thought yeah, he was eventually, appointed. Eventually he becomes he's one of the other um senators from Naboo, right? He's, I, he I think he starts as a junior ass. senator, yeah. and then uh, he eventually gets elevated, basically because there's a, a hole left by uh, Padme. Padme, right. yeah. Um, right. 
and that but again like he he just and i guess you're right andy it's like the classic american way of uh falling upwards uh, Mm um for people who don't deserve to be in the positions that they are but you, you really have to wonder too because a lot of it's like palpatine wouldn't be able to do a lot of what he did if not for jar jar binks and yeah. it's really scary that, um, you know, everybody talks about how genius Palpatine is and his plan was, but really it hinged on the dumbest fucking character in the series. And it, it's pretty interesting to see how much of it hinged on that with him granting emergency powers and everything like that. Just, I don't know. It, there's something to it. I think there might be some dark side magic going on that maybe Jar Jar is not aware of. I, I used to think that, uh, was just a ridiculous meme, but I've started to think about it a little. Be careful with conspiracy <laughs> theories, Ted. Well, they, they don't lead to good places. Uh, I don't know if I endorse Darth Jar Jar or not, but uh, the only thing I'll say about this whole Jar Jar conversation, um, because it's crazy to think what was said about in the past and what Ahmed Best had to go through, uh, I think is insane. I can't even imagine that. Because, like, in my honest opinion, is watching these movies now, Jar Jar is not even the worst part of it. I don't even like dislike that character that much to like not like these movies. I think there are other things you could dislike about them and to walk away from this movie and not feeling like, oh, Jar Jar was the number one thing. Is it annoying at times? Yeah, but like, I can kind of see the the purpose of it. It is that Joker Jester character in this weird child's movie george lucas tried making um and it's not that bad but like it's bad i don't really care for it but it's not that bad that's fair yeah i i i agree with you and i think here's here's the interesting part of um of when people become fanatics of star wars uh the hate of ahmad ahmed best really came from the original trilogy fans the boomers that uh you know are still talking about what well, that's not my star wars you know it's it's the same it's the same people that are are critical of the sequel trilogy that are, are critical of the uh prequel trilogy specifically things like uh jar jar binks they feel like it's not it's not star wars um and yeah i, I don't think anybody really loves Jar Jar, or at least Jar Jar is not maybe a favorite character of many people. Um, but he's far and away not the worst part of these movies. Um, he actually did a great job considering what he was asked to do. It's a groundbreaking character in terms of, uh, you know, movie history. Um, you know, he's really like the first, uh, was the first full CGI character, right? You know, so it's it, well, no, it, it's it's like a motion capture, or is it motion CG, capture? CG turned CGI. Yeah, so, something like that. We've had like CGI the first characters, of its, the first of its kind. You know, um, and so you know that's a really cool history of the. But yeah, I mean, uh, in terms of where he fits into the plot, really is just a plot device um, and comic relief. You know, and that's that's Jar Jar Binks in, in a nutshell. Yeah, and he's evil. Yeah. Um, well, uh, speaking of people who live on Naboo, uh, Padme is uh, 
the driving force behind Anakin Skywalker, really the motivation for everything he does. Um, it from the beginning, honestly, like it, between him and his or her and his mom, that that's the motivation for everything for him. He he calls her an angel when he sees her for the first time when he's eight years old. Um, then he's super creepy toward her later on, and then they get married, everything like that. Uh, but specifically about the character Padme, I was surprised at how wooden I thought that uh, Natalie Portman portrayed Padme in the first movie. Uh, it seemed very below her caliber of acting. She didn't seem interested in the movie to me. Uh, I don't know if you guys saw that, but as the movies progressed, she got more and more believable in at least what she was trying to do. Obviously, like I said, it, it's hard for me to believe that anybody could fall in love with the Anakin Skywalker we get in Attack of the Clones. But with the line she's given, she does a great job with that. Uh, it's just for some reason she seemed very stiff and not just those moments where she is Amidala, where she's in the makeup and she's supposed to have that accent and sound sort of robotic. It's in other moments when she's uh, dressed as a handmaiden, and uh, I, I just didn't like her in that movie, but she gets better and better as you go and, like, closer to the Natalie Portman we know today, and uh, she's just a very important character to Star Wars because not only is she the motivation for Anakin, uh, for everything that he does, what leads to his eventual downfall, but he's all. She's also the parent of our eventual hero in the uh, OT uh, heroes, actually Leia and Luke. So it's really she's one of the most important characters in Star Wars. It was a character given too much, though. Like it's like so much that you 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 give to this character. Not only is she the the mother of the the twins that are set up the whole original trilogy, but she also also happens to be a queen then she becomes a senator uh and while she is being the senator she's also the love interest of the chosen one part of this prophecy thing um have you guys seen any of the deleted scenes from attack of the clones yeah with her yeah like in the family and like it's like oh my god it's like george lucas is like writing a sitcom almost or something um with this character in mind and it's like what you got to figure out what you're you're doing with. Um, and it's a shame because uh, when you look outside of the prequel movies, Padme becomes a way better character in the books. I haven't read any of the, like the Queen Shadow um, books yet, but I've heard some good things about it. Uh, I'm just behind on my my Disney Star Wars books, but it's something I will probably read at some point. Um I think there have been good things about the comic said about the character or stories involved her. So like there's a good story in there. Just I don't buy it with Natalie Portman, unfortunately. Uh, and I always uh, like playing with like the you know, we'll, we'll do some what if stuff a little later here. But uh, apparently there was uh, at some point in time that Padme uh, was going to like stab, uh, try to attempt to stab Anakin with a knife in Revenge of the Sith. Uh, when they meet on Mustafar and that idea was scrapped, but I kind of like, like that idea. Cause that gives me believable that she gets to the point where um, she loves him. Uh, she knows that there's no way he's going to stop. And the only way that he can be stopped is if she kills him. Uh, and that's what gets him to think that 
uh, she actually betrayed him and whatnot. So I, I think it provides a little more motivation. No, that, that can't be better than you're breaking my heart, Anakin, and then immediately going to choking her once he sees Obi Wan. Well, I mean, I'm no you know, Oscar winning uh, writer, director, yeah. or anything. So, <laughs> yeah, I mean, Padme is maybe one of the, unfortunately, one of the most disappointing characters for me in the prequel trilogy. I mean, I think you guys both hit on it. There's so much in there that could have uh, been exposed with the Padme character, but it, it just didn't deliver. It was just a lot of um, a lot of being talked at, um, really a lot of the utility more than actual character, um, and it just it, it wasn't really fair to the character um, to to put that onus on her. So you know, it it was it was tough to watch her uh, in this in this trilogy but the the character itself uh you know i, uh, I think one of you guys said it like outside of this uh, andy i think you were talking about like the, the comics and everything um com- you know knowing knowing what the character is it makes it a lot better um because she is so important and pivotal to the story you just wish you you, you, you know you just wish you had more character from padme within these movies uh so moving on, we've got Palpatine, who's the real uh, puppet master behind everything. Um, that these movies really go out of their way, uh, like really speaking to this being a kids series more than the OT. They go out of their way to have these shots of Palpatine just looking evil, or like the side shot where it's like, "Hey, you see that nose? That's the same nose that you saw under that hood." Remember that. Uh, It's just very very interesting the way they, like, used foreshadowing. It was more like, hey, we're presenting it on a platter for you, uh, that Palpatine ends up being the Emperor. But Ian McDiarmid, I think, does a really great job uh, playing Palpatine. I think there are some moments where he overplays it a bit, and I think that's what he's asked to do. Uh, But that also plays to the emperor as well. Like there's so many moments of like where he's supposed to be feigning uh, concern for Padme. And he says it in this, such an overdone way where like, if I were Padme, I'd be like, this dude doesn't give a shit about me. What, what is he saying right now? I, I don't believe this at all, but uh, he, I think he is another one who also gets better as he goes. And like people kind of criticize a little bit, like the evil head turns. And I made a comment about it in the uh, synopsis, but he's also like, he's waiting for that reaction. That's his character. He is saying the thing and he is anticipating the next thing to be said, the reaction. He wants to see the look on Anakin's face when he says, that uh, he can, you know, stop death. He can do all of these things using the dark side. So I, I think it works for his character. And I, I think it really just plays into who he eventually becomes to the audience, which is the Emperor, who in the OT is very good, but it's over-the-top evil. And I think that works for him. And especially because he's a politician, too. Uh, you can see him talking out of both sides of his mouth all the time. Yeah, he's a he's a master manipulator. I mean, that's that's his entire character. That's his whole purpose, you know, is to manipulate the whole thing. He's the he's the hand playing the chessboard, you know. 
Um, and uh, as far as the, the the Ian McDermott, I I just I just love that guy, man. He he plays it so well, you know. And yeah, it's it's obviously sinister from the get, you know, from the time you meet the emperor. I mean, you, well, first of all, you just know Ian McDermott, especially as an adult. But, um, you know, even as a kid, you know that this guy's up to no good, you know. And and I don't think George was trying to hide it by any means, um, you know, in in uh, in the Phantom Menace. Um, but yeah, one of the most iconic characters in the in the prequels. Um, and uh, yeah, I don't know. I have much more to say on that, but Palpatine, he's my favorite Sith. Uh, Ian McDermott does like an incredible job of this character in every trilogy. He's portrayed it. I think if you are someone who likes um, Emperor Palpatine uh, or, you know, Darth Sidious, Sheev Palpatine, the senator turned chancellor, if you like this character in the prequels, I think you gotta kind of give more credit to the sequel trilogy, in particular The Rise of Skywalker, and accepting the fact that, like, somehow Palpatine returned. Because, like, that's the whole point, is this man has been behind it since the beginning. Everything has gone the way he's wanted, and if it didn't go the way he wanted, well, guess what? He was already two steps ahead of you with another plan as a backup, a contingency, or something, or some other. This man, like has been pulling the strings all along, orchestrating, like, perhaps the greatest heist the galaxy has ever seen. So um, I think it's awesome in this movie. It's actually a, a gem of it, is everything, uh, every scene with Sheev in it. Um, I really like it. Even the, the fight in uh, Revenge of the Sith between, like, him and Yoda, like, I, it's really cheesy, the lines and everything. I, CGI is over the top with it and whatnot. But I just like for the memes, the cackle, how like crazy evil eye it looks. Does anybody face act better than that guy? No, that, no. <laughs> right. The stare with his eyes like it just works and it's fun. So uh, if it's bad and cheesy at the time today, I look at it and I love it for the memes. Yeah, I, I love him specifically when he is the emperor, when he is just kind of let his hair down and like this is how evil he wants to be all the time this is yeah. a guy who just wants to have fun being evil and he has a great time doing it with the cackle and everything it's like i said it's over the top but in a good way it's not overdone to its detriment it's overdone because like this is who this character is he seeks power for the sake of seeking power and that's why he's done all of this. And it's just a really good portrayal that he doesn't have a ton of depth. You know, he's an evil character who pulls strings to do evil things. But because it's so simple, it's done so well because it goes a little bit over the top, a little bit of cheese. Um, I, I just love Palpatine. Um, I don't think I can accept necessarily what happened in the sequel trilogy with him uh it just because of the explanation is just uh dominic monahan just like saying some stuff <laughs> but um you know i i can accept that he's there i i was i was on board when i saw the dead speak and like okay like if we get some explanation here i'm on board 
didn't really get that. Uh, that's neither here nor there. We'll talk about that on another episode sometime. But um, let's move on to his apprentice, uh, who I don't have a ton to say about, but Darth Maul is just such a cool character. He He's one of those things that saved uh, the Phantom Menace for a lot of people. Like, when you get to that final battle, the Duel of the Fates battle... It's like, okay, I kind of slogged through a lot of this stuff, and I didn't like a lot of it, but holy shit, this is the coolest thing I've ever seen, because as cool as the lightsaber saber battles are in uh, Empire and Return of the Jedi, it's taken up so many notches with this dual lightsaber, this guy Ray Park, who's just absolute stuntman. That's all he is. He's a stuntman in makeup. And he does a fantastic job in this scene. And there's not much to his character. We, we get way more into his character in things like Clone Wars. And he does become a more interesting character. And has a lot of implications as far as what happens in the Star Wars universe. As far as just this movie. Great job of the choreography. Of all of the action. It, it's just one of the things that I think universally redeems that movie specifically for a lot of people. It's probably the coolest entrance to, I don't know if you guys remember when you well for the first time, but it's the hologram and he just like bust in over the shoulder of Palpatine. And it's like, who the fuck is that? <laughs> I want to know more. I, I want his toys. I want, and then you see his lightsaber later. Like, that's the character. I, I'm pretty sure I probably had, like, the... Um, or I really wanted it. No, I definitely didn't have it, but I really would have wanted it as a kid. The, the dual the lightsaber. Yeah. yeah. Oh, the, 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 the lightsaber itself. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, just the... I, the it, it's just the cool factor of Darth Maul. That's all he really exists for. And obviously, to be the, you know, the kind of the antagonist to Qui-Gon Jinn, but... Um, it's the character design that really put him on the map as one of the uh, coolest Star Wars villains uh, ever. But yeah, I mean, and, and what a cool thing to like, he shows up once, doesn't say much, but then later on in, in other material, he has some of the best character moments um, in, in things like the Clone Wars animated series. Um, and uh, he's just a really cool utility character that uh, that's been used in a in in a few different spots. Um, so even outside of the prequels, uh, you gotta love Darth Maul. Oh yeah, I mean the first time you see this guy, he essentially looks like Alien Satan with a dual lightsaber. There's nothing cooler than that. Uh, I guess depending on your thoughts on Satan, but. Uh... <laughs> So not much more to say about him. Uh, let's talk about a guy that we also see in the OT a lot and uh, who I was really disappointed in in this. And, and I, I know the reasons for it, but Yoda, he seems like a very different character in the prequel trilogy than he does in the OT. In fact, like to the, to the point where I remember when we got reintroduced to Yoda in The Last Jedi... I was thrilled that it was A, Puppet Yoda, and B, it was crazy, lost his mind, uh, funny Yoda from Empire. Yoda in this series just doesn't even feel like the same person, and I know that's on purpose, but there's not even, like, a glimpse 
to me of the Yoda that we see later on. Um, and, and maybe that's like definitely on purpose, like to the nth degree. But it, it just would have been nice to see like a little bit of fun from him, a little less rigidity. He is just very serious. There is not a smile on Yoda at all throughout the prequel movies. And I'm not a big fan of the CGI, all CGI Yoda. Like, it looks fine, but it, I love that practical effect, Yoda. It's really jarring to go from this puppet. And I know you can't have the puppet doing all of these flips and everything like that. And people have their thoughts on that, too. But... I don't know. It, Yoda just does not work for me overall in the prequels. And again, I know the reason is to show the fall of the Jedi from this very rigid order to something that, because they were so rigid, uh, fell apart completely and was not able to see the evil that was lurking right under their noses. He's just not an enjoyable character to me in this trilogy. I... I want to bring to your attention the scene um, where Obi-Wan, I think this is Attack of the Clones, where Obi-Wan um, interrupts Yoda teaching a class to the younglings. Yep. Do you remember that scene? Yeah, um, you've got one scene. Okay. Well, I, the only reason I want to bring that up is because... <laughs> Dad, you found one! <laughs> Fuck you. <laughs> it does show uh, that the you know the the humor and and kind of wittiness and 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 uh whimsy from Yoda is there but you're right i mean the, it, and 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 this is a very d- deep star wars like you have to really dig into like yoda to 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 have this sort of um dynamic but even so the <sighs> You 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 said it yourself. I mean, it's the the perp, or Yoda in the prequels is much more serious than Yoda in the original trilogy be, for for a very specific reason. He it, the events that happen in the prequels lead to maybe what we see of Yoda in in later iterations. Um, kind of like, kind of loses his mind. So I don't have that same criticism of Yoda in that I do the. CGI is tough, um, but that's my real only my only real criticism of Yoda in this. Um, I, I actually like him. I'll I'll take the CGI Yoda over the original puppet that they had for the Phantom Menace. That's fair. Uh, that thing was terrifying, <laughs> and thinking about how like much of an asshole really Yoda is in the prequels. Um, and in particular, the Phantom Menace, like the things that he says about like Anakin and like whatnot about like not wanting to train him, just like very harsh coming off like, nope, whatever, like done seeing that puppet. But then like going forward into like the next movies and the lines like being said, uh, I don't want to see that Yoda puppet with the children. Like, let's let's keep him away. That's fair. <laughs> That's a fair take. Yeah, the, the Yoda puppet, they said they used the same mold. It doesn't look the same at all. No. The eyes no. are weird. The head is weird. Very strange. Uh, the one in The Last Jedi is much closer to the original Yoda puppet that we get in Empire. Well, I think they said it's because the one in the, the prequels that they used for The Phantom Menace um, wasn't the original. It was something like 
or it was like a, a replicate. Like there was something about it that oh. was not. But the Last Jedi one was originally like the the casting that they found. Um, so they yeah. they were able to use it again. Yeah. Gotcha. Uh, another Jedi here. This dude is badass, and he had it inscribed on his lightsaber that he was a badass motherfucker. Fucking Mace Windu. This yeah. dude only exists to a agree with Yoda. They say I agree to each other so much in these movies, it's ridiculous. Uh, but also to just be one of the coolest lightsaber duelists of all time. And you don't even get much of him, but this guy kills Jango Fett without even breaking a sweat. It's awesome. Just from the beginning when he's fighting Jango Fett and just like the uh, the quick dodge move he makes very quickly, very smoothly, and then... Uh, leading Jango Fett to him and slicing his head off is a wonderful scene. And then the scene when he's battling Palpatine, I know it's kind of jarring when uh, the other Jedi around him get murked pretty easily, looking like they've never even used a lightsaber before. But his battle with Palpatine is so well choreographed, and I love the uh, climax of that when it's the Sith Lightning versus... Mace Windu's lightsaber, uh, and, and I don't know if this is canon, I think this was an EU thing, but they talked about the technique he used called Vapad, where he was able to bounce uh, dark side energy back at the user, so that seems to lead to why Palpatine is getting hit with his own Sith Lightning in the way he is, because you see a potentially stronger character in Yoda kind of deflecting things back, but it's not to the degree that Mace Windu does. It, like He really bounces it back at him and uh, scars him. It looks like, I know there's like debate about whether or not he's showing who he truly is or if he's being scarred by the lightning. Either way, uh, Mace Windu is just so fucking cool. I don't know what else I can say. He's just fucking cool. Samuel L. Jackson kills it. I hope we get Mace Windu in something set in the future. Like, I don't think uh, he died. I think uh, he survived the fall. And you've got Samuel L. Jackson ready to go. He is, all, if that movie, if that TV show is not already in production, doesn't matter. Samuel L. Jackson already has a signature on the contract. Uh, he's ready to go for it. Um, it's a great character. I don't think it, uh, excuse me, it's a great character when you think about the greater context of maybe Star Wars, I don't necessarily like it within the story of Anakin because it's like this unnecessary antagonist. Like he's just always saying no to Anakin, but like in some ways he should probably like listen to Anakin or like they should be trusting more of him. So that way they know the influence of Sheev over him uh, isn't, you know, stronger. Like it just doesn't make sense. They're pushing him away, which is causing him to want to go. You know, bet you know, not listen to them. And instead, of the other way around. I think he's smarter than that. At least that's what he seems. And I think his character gets expanded on better in like the Clone Wars and whatnot to make that happen. Uh, but definitely like it. Cool purple lightsaber. Purple is probably my favorite lightsaber color. That's why I've got a purple lightsaber. All thanks to Mace Windu. Yeah, Mace is uh, a really cool character, but he's also one of the most frustrating characters in the prequel trilogy. Like, he is 
like you said, Andy, I agree with a lot of what you said, actually. He's, a, he's an unnecessary antagonist. Um, he's really just the contrarian, um, you know, to to Obi-Wan and Anakin specifically. Um, but he also just like within the council, he's like that 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 down the line conservative vote every time, you know, um, and it's just the most frustrating thing, because I really think that he is the reason why the Jedi kind of I guess not the reason why, but he's like the arbiter of. This is what we must do. You know, even Yoda is is, is much more contemplative uh, about things. And, uh, you know, Mace, though he does agree with Yoda uh, a lot, he's also just like the he shuts it right down if he needs to, you know. Yeah. Um, so that's that's like um, he's he's very frustrating in that context. So he's he's really not my my favorite character um, in the uh, in the prequel trilogy, but. You can't you can't deny the just the cool factor of Sam Jackson in a purple lightsaber. It's it's just really really cool. He's a cool character. Yeah, I can agree with all of that. He definitely doesn't need to exacerbate the mistrust that Anakin has in the Jedi Order to begin with. But that's what he's there for, and uh, it's kind of unfortunate. But it would be cool to see him come back. Um, hopefully, uh, Star Wars Theory doesn't get too upset if they uh, take his idea. Anyway, um, Count Dooku. Count Dooku's a pretty cool character. This, this is a guy like the first time we see a Jedi who has left the Order. That is a really cool concept, and it's something that we get into later with other material. But Dooku's an interesting character because he gets disillusioned with the Jedi. He's uh, a former master of Qui-Gon Jinn, so he very much is that contrarian to the Jedi Order like Qui-Gon Jinn ends up being. So that it's a really interesting character. It wish we got more of him. I wish we got more of him in this series. We don't get enough. We get him again expanded upon in Clone Wars. So like there's always an argument to say like if you watch and read all the supplementary material, you get everything you need. But for the casual fan, I could see how disappointed they would be that they don't get more of Christopher Lee being super smooth and cool playing this character. Um, I guess like the worst part of him would probably be just the CGI lightsaber battles with him and uh, Anakin and Obi-Wan and Yoda, just because that there are some moments where you can see uh, it's Christopher Lee's head superimposed on somebody else's body and it's not great looking. Uh, and you've got a lot of these close-up shots of Anakin and uh, Christopher Lee with their lightsabers, and that's not a really good look because you're not seeing the clash of the lightsaber. You're seeing them wave it, and that's really all you're seeing is the blow. Um, but Dooku's really interesting. He's uh, obviously Palpatine's apprentice at one point, and uh, I, I love... The scene specifically when he gets decapitated because you can see the fear and the confusion in his eyes when he realizes that Palpatine has moved on from him as an apprentice and has moved to Anakin and uh, the kind of conflict you see between well we had this goal and this is helping the goal if I allow him to take on his new apprentice here and move on from me but also I don't want to die right here. And for this guy to just move on from that, so uh, it's 
I, I don't know. I'm kind of rambling, but I, I, I like Dooku a lot, and uh, I think there's more they could have done with him, but I think what they did was pretty good as well. I, I think there's a, a canon, um, like, explanation for what was going on through his mind during that moment. I, I might be mistaken, but I'm pretty sure... No, I think uh, there is. ...where he, like, he realizes in that moment, like, it was it was never him. He was never supposed to be the like he wasn't the apprentice even like he was just this this token placeholder um, occupying a space until uh, he was ready. And this was the moment. Uh, and like that's what like he reg he regretted things all of a sudden and that not seeing it uh, sooner. Yeah, not much time to regret it there, though. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I definitely wish that Dooku was used a little bit more, but I'll tell you, I, I didn't appreciate Dooku as much as I do after reading um, Dooku Jedi Lost. Yeah. Uh, really, really good um, piece on, on Dooku and Sifo Dyas, um, which is, you know, he's only really mentioned in, in the uh, prequel trilogy, um, but the relationship between those two is, is pretty cool in that book. So I, I, I wish that we got a little more Dooku, but um he serves his purpose, you know, he, he kind of, uh, catapults Anakin into really the, um, uh, position to become the emperor's apprentice. See, I like him in, like you said, Zach, in those other things like Dooku, uh, Jedi fallen, um, nothing else. I do not like him in the prequels whatsoever. I think it's a total waste of a character, uh, another unnecessary antagonist. That's like, why do we have this bad guy here? What is he doing? doesn't really provide anything and it sucks because i think like this is a really cool character and another character we're going to talk about in a little bit um i think is really cool it's just i don't like how they're they get portrayed in these movies because i think you can do so much more with it um yeah oh, go ahead Todd. I, I get what you're saying i i think i appreciate dooku a little bit more though because i think his purpose is to throw you off the trail a little bit because you've got this guy who is a fallen jedi now sith and he seems to be leading the separatists, but he's got a master. We don't know who he is, and he does serve the purpose of putting that little seed in the head of specifically Obi-Wan and later the rest of the Jedi by saying the entire Senate is controlled by a Sith Lord. And, you know, that it also leads to the rule of two, which we finally first get an explanation of. So I, I think he serves a lot of purposes. Uh Unfortunately, he's stretched a little bit thin and you don't get as much of him as you should because he really is an interesting character, like you guys said, from the Dooku Jedi Lost. And, you know, you get more of him in Clone Wars with his own apprentice, Asajj Ventress. A lot of cool threads with him and it would have been really interesting to explore more with, again, the first Jedi that we see in canon to leave the Order. It'd be really nice to get something like a young Dooku series, something like that, to really go into that. I know we get a lot in Jedi Lost, but it would be really cool. Um, but uh, from Dooku, we get an, sort of an apprentice of his, uh, a guy that's not adept in the Force, but he's a cyborg, is uh, General Grievous. And another character who's, you know, cool design, Looks very cool, does some cool things. He's got four limbs. He's got several lightsabers in each limb. He has this collection of lightsabers. He's also this kind of weird guy who's got an annoying, annoying cough, which 
kind of was off-putting to some people. Um, he doesn't really get explained very much. And again, another character that gets more in the Clone Wars. He's a big antagonist in the Clone Wars series. But he's really just kind of like cool eye candy, I think, in uh, the prequels more than anything. He's just a cool way to show, here's something we can do with lightsabers and lightsaber battles. That's pretty much it for me. This was my favorite character from the prequels. And it's not because of the movies, but it's because of the cartoon and not the Clone Wars that came out in 2007 or 8 or whatever it was. Um, but the 2D animated one that was on Cartoon Network. Uh, I was really excited for that because like the Phantom Menace came out and I can't. Did it come out before or after? I don't remember, but I didn't see the movies in theaters anyway, so it doesn't matter. But I just remember being more excited for that because I was like, oh, this is like telling you what actually happens. Because the other thing is just like, oh, here it is. Here's the war. But like this is telling you like what the war is about, the Clone Wars. And General Grievous is like an actual badass in that. And you actually get a like a good explanation for why he has the cough, because he has an epic battle with Mace Windu, who uses the force to crush his lungs. Uh, but uh, Grievous is able to get away. So like, oh, then when you see him in Revenge of the Sith, why is he coughing? It's because badass Mace Windu had an epic battle with him and they you know almost got him. Yeah, Grievous is is weird. I I think he's a character design is awesome. I mean, he looks just super cool. Another just another you know, some very similar to Darth Maul in that aspect. Um, you know, he's the general of the separatists in the in the Clone Wars, um, and uh, and that's really all there is to him. I I really don't have much of an opinion on Grievous. I think he looks cool. I think that uh, the the kind of cat and mouse with Obi Wan is is. Uh, is good in in Revenge of the Sith, um, you know, kind of leading Obi Wan on his his detective case, um, but yeah, I, I I don't really care for him all that much. He just looks cool. Yeah, he's not a very strong character, but he's interesting and cool character design for sure. Uh, and I guess we'll wrap up the characters and acting with uh, the two characters that like are really the connective tissue for all of the eras of Star Wars so far. And that C-3PO and R2-D2, like, we're weirdly introduced to C-3PO first, uh, well, R2-D2's first, he's just an astromech on one of the Nabooian, uh, cruisers, and, uh, he happens to be the one that survives, just happens to not get shot while trying to, uh, fix something on the ship, and, uh, they guess commend him for that and then uh he's just along for the ride the entire way from there he's uh i guess the preferred astromech for padme and uh he eventually moves on to being the astromech for anakin and then we also find out that c-3po was built by anakin skywalker which it's poetry it rhymes but it also opens a can of worms george come on uh like why doesn't Anakin or uh, Darth Vader remember him. I, I know there's like a in canon. I think there's a comic where in Empire uh, he on Cloud City sees uh, the dismantled C-3PO and remembers a little bit. But ju just 
some weird congruencies um and then you find out later on that the lars family owns c3po uh that they get him with shmi but uh owen lars doesn't recognize him when he buys him again from the jawas just weird stuff like that um but these characters transcend star wars they're there through all of it, and uh, I, I do like the little uh, thread that C-3PO is the only one who gets his memory wiped. So, uh, you know, R2-D2 is like the historian of Star Wars, knows everything that goes on throughout the Skywalker saga, which is really interesting for a character that speaks and beeps, and, uh, you know, it really has all this knowledge and uh, history with everything. But um, I liked R2-D2. I wasn't a big fan of C-3PO. They tried too much to make him funny in ways that didn't work for me, similar to like Jar Jar Binks. I think C-3PO is much funnier of a character in the OT and the sequel trilogy specifically. They really ramp up the funniness of C-3PO in that. I, I found myself more annoyed by C-3PO in the, the prequels, especially in the droid factory. Hated him yes. in the droid factory so much. <laughs> Yeah, he he's not a super likable character in these movies, but I you know, I have to I have to say, you know, he, being a protocol droid, he could easily be you know, kind of mixed in with the crowd, you know. I don't think any any of these folks need to recognize him to have any you know, continuum uh acknowledged. Um but yeah, he, the droids are an interesting part of the overall star wars story um and uh, r2d2 it's cool to get r2d2's kind of origin story too because like we see how he's like introduced to the the beginning of this whole the, the the this whole journey um he just happens to be one of the astro the only surviving astromech on a ubu starship um and he gets all the accolade and then from there on he's he's the real hero um love r2d2 um yeah, 3PO is a tough character in these ones. I don't think I have a lot to add to the, the droid conversation. I think we've, we've all said everything um, that can be sure. said. The one thing is R2-D2 and all of his new gadgets in the prequels could have done without them, but whatever. It, it really doesn't matter at the end of the day. Just some of those things would have been very helpful to, you know, like Luke a couple of years later, but it's fine. We We don't need them. Yeah, I can agree with that, but... Some of them are pretty fucking cool. I, I do love in uh, Revenge of the Sith when he lights all the droids on fire with uh, the oil and then the yeah. boosters. I do enjoy that. But yeah, it would have been convenient for him to be able to fly. You know, maybe he would have been able to get out of the swamp on uh, Dagobah much easier if he had realized he had thrusters. But either way, I think that wraps up the character discussion. Um... Why don't we move on to CGI and practical effects? And I think we'll probably spend more time on CGI because uh, George was obsessed with CG for this trilogy uh, to a good degree and sometimes to a detriment. Uh, there's a lot of CG. A lot of it really holds up in some ways. Uh, specifically, the ships really look nice and they, that goes back to what the strength of early CGI was was anything mechanical looked really good. You you get that in stuff like uh, the first Iron Man movie. The first Iron Man suit looks really good, and it looks 
really not all that different from the uh, current iterations of all that, and that's because it's so much easier to make these like rigid, linear characters or ships and things like that that are mechanical look pretty good. It's when you're doing living things that it can be difficult. I think stuff like Jar Jar is pretty good, specifically for 1999. You, you got to remember, Phantom Menace was 1990, um, and, and it gets a little better as it goes. I have some issues with, like, the massive amount of clones. Those look kind of jarring. They look specifically like CGI. It would, would have been nice to have some people just in costume more often in uh, the last two movies. Uh, but what are your guys' overall thoughts on uh, the effects in these movies? Uh, the Phantom Menace is terrible. Uh, it's, it does not stand to, like, the testament. I think it's, like... It pushes the boundaries, but too much in every wrong place. And then it's like a shocking change when you get to Attack of the Clones because like George doubles down on it. But it's like clear that Lucasfilm, uh, Industrial Light and Magic, like figured out what they needed to do to make things look more realistic because Naboo, like outside of the city of Feed, does not look good. It looks like they're like in a windows 95 desktop background or something um like playing minecraft it, it does not look good but the other two movies they do stand the test of time the opening shot to revenge of the sith almost could be something that you would see on the big screens maybe in like a really uh like high budget netflix show or something like that looks really good uh, I'd believe it, but just the Phantom Menace, there are parts of it look so, so bad. Yeah, there are definitely parts of it that look pretty rough, but uh, I I think it actually does hold up pretty well, especially like Tab was saying, the, the, the mechanical aspects of the CGI, um, things like the pod racers, um, the the ships, you know, look stunning. Um, and, and I think that they were designed with that in mind, you know, with the, the, the massive amounts of CGI that they plan to use and the sleek design of the, of the ships of that era. Um, yeah, I mean, it, it's, it's tough to even talk about any practical effects because almost everything was CGI, including Yoda in the, in the, uh, you know, attack of the clones in revenge of the Sith. Um, you have, uh, Jar Jar Binks, though he was, I, I guess, so motion capture, you know, it was a groundbreaking um, uh, decision from ILM to to attempt the, a full, you know, overlay character. Um, I mean, it's really, uh, they did a lot of groundbreaking things at the time, and I do think a lot of them still hold up. It's, it's you know, one of the things that stands out to me looking back, you know, Revenge of the Sith on Mustafar, that one's a lot of that environment is really tough. Um, I think a lot of the environment in general is a lot di more difficult to animate than um, than some of the characters and the machinery that we see. Um, so that's what really stood out to me is the um, the environmental stuff. But. You know, overall, it's it's definitely watchable. You know, definitely watchable. Uh, and 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 compare. I don't know if uh, the right word, but it sort of compares to to today. You know, you can it holds up. Yeah, I I can agree with both of you, and uh, it, I I think 
the the bigger thing is those like wide shots of scenery or you know like i said of a ton of clones those things where you're rendering so many things that's where they really struggled it's when you get individual characters or ships uh are much easier to make look realistic things like that those are the strengths of the cgi in these movies and Again, we we have to remember, too, uh, the time that these were made. You know, this is 1999 through 2005. They're pretty close together. Um, You can see the improvements that are made throughout that time. But like we've talked about before, ILM and George Lucas always want to push the boundaries of what you can do. And you can almost feel like how giddy George Lucas is about CGI. Just in the fact that he wanted to make this pretty much all CGI. I'd say, like, the the one thing that always stands out to me, though, and it's more of a behind-the-scenes thing, I love the behind-the-scenes of Attack of the Clones when they're all uh, in the Coliseum on uh, Geonosis. It's just all these Jedi in front of a green screen, and they're just waving their lightsabers willy-nilly, and the poor animators that have to animate the blaster bolts that are just ricocheting off of their nonsense movements it i feel so bad for those guys they did an incredible job uh for like making these movies that are almost all cgi uh i i think the animators did an incredible job at ilm all things considered can you imagine having to animate that many blaster bolts throughout this whole trilogy oh oh my god genosis is mind-boggling yeah it's way too busy i can't even imagine yeah uh, it's it's over the top, but it holds up pretty well, all things considered, I think. Um, yeah. It, yeah, not much to say as far as practical effects, uh, unfortunately. I love practical effects more. I think there can be a nice blending of practical and CGI, and I think you get that in the sequel trilogy a lot more than you would have. In- um, let's talk some music. I mean, we've got John Williams... What more can you ask for? Uh, If you're going to talk about something that elevates these movies beyond what they would be without it, it's the soundtrack. Uh, Duel of the Fates specifically just elevates that entire sequence so much. Like, Not only is it an awesome visual sequence, but it's so intense with that music in the background. And uh, Have you ever watched it without that? No. Have you ever seen seen it with like the strip stripped of the audio? No. No, it's, it's awful. Disgusting. Yeah. I believe it. It's disgusting. I believe it. It it adds so much to it. And like we've talked about John Williams' process of he watches the movies and writes to fit the scenes that he's seeing. And he does such a good job of it. I, I got a feel for him. I, I'm sure at some point he's like, what am I going to do here? What am I going to do with this, George? What what are you presenting to me right now? I have to do something with this. Uh, but there's just nobody better for this grand uh, story. And I don't know, it makes these movies feel more like Star Wars than they otherwise would have felt like. I don't know if there's yeah. much else I can say uh, about getting well, like too technical. The Duel of the Fates is just this incredible, incredible 
film score that you don't have to watch the movie to enjoy. You can just listen to it and you're like, it's a badass tune. I love this. Um, the song uh, across the across the stars is that the across the galaxy across the stars and blanket on the name of it but it's the love theme between padme and anakin regardless of how the acting does with like are these characters in love that's a love theme that's a, a tune that says that these two characters they are madly in love with another with one another and will do whatever it takes for the other person like i believe that so this man like is able to tell a story without needing the words uh he can just watch what's on screen and if you guys haven't seen it the last jedi has a uh, music only version um under the the special yeah. uh like features you should watch it it's pretty epic uh because it, 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 it works it works when you get john williams telling your story yeah most definitely well and i think that that's what makes the that's why the music is so integral to star wars uh, john williams in general is just a very thematic writer and the way he integrates themes into his score tells us tells the story on its own um you know you can follow who we're who we're highlighting who we're implicating who you know just within his themes uh the the feeling that you're supposed to feel from two character interactions um just from his music you can get that so you know even with such a lackluster script these movies tell such a grandiose story really in large part because of john williams um and uh you know I, I, you just can't say enough about it i mean the the scores of these movies no matter I mean, all of them you can listen to every score on its own and it's a it's an absolute masterpiece absolute masterpiece um you know including these three movies absolutely and uh we all know that john williams strength is themes and that's that goes to andy's point talking about like you might not believe anakin and padme in a relationship on the surface and it would be even worse without the music but the the theme is there and the feeling is pushed at you by john williams and it's done so in such a great job that like you sometimes just have to concede it's like all right i don't believe it but here we go john williams is making me feeling feel some things so i may as well just get on board with it and uh just go with it they're gonna be in love that it is what it is before we get into our, our final thoughts and ranking these things, do you guys have any other things you wanted to talk about uh, regarding these movies? I mean, we, we hit the characters, we hit the effects and music. Are there any things like plot wise, anything like that, that you really wanted to get into? Well, uh, we didn't really talk about it, but it, it would should be addressed that there are some things that George Lucas chose creatively to do in these movies, which might not be the best taste uh, by today's standards. Um, and our culture and how we perceive art so like there are things with certain alien characters which might be viewed as a little racist and i'd be remiss if i did not mention that uh it was painful to watch that and in fact like while watching the phantom menace i i turned to less i was like do you notice anything about those characters and she's like what do you mean it's like just listen and then she goes oh oh that's not good that's racist i was like yeah just a little bit yeah. 
<laughs> yeah, what what are those aliens called? Nymoidians, isn't that Nymoidian, what the Trade yeah. Federation guys are called? Yeah, it, and it's so unnecessary. Like, what is the motivation for making that an Asian type accent? I I just don't really understand it. Uh, you know, I. Well, no, it makes sense, and it's George Lucas, like, because he's kind of like a boomer. He was trying to make a World War II serial, and so, like, you have the Japanese, um, who are the enemy, like, that's a part of it. Like, literally, what was going through his mind with these characters, uh, and just, like, giving him the stereotypes uh, that he would associate with, that you would find in um, comics and the, uh, the shorts before movies. Yeah, I guess just like what they do specifically, like the, what their role is, doesn't really align with that to me. Um, but that was the choice he made. I, I understand from your perspective. And then I guess the other one that stands out really badly is Watto. Yep. He's supposed to come off as greedy and greasy. And like that one, I think even more so is like, on the nose, really just kind of nasty as far as uh, the implications. I think we all know, anybody who's seen it, it it comes off as something that's a Jewish stereotype, and it's it's not good. It's horrendous. Yeah. Uh, I, I just don't know what else to say about it. Like, it, it's just, it feels mean more than anything. Like, more than the Nymoidians do, this one just feels mean. I don't know if you guys have any more thoughts on that. Yeah, Watto's tough. Uh, but, I mean, it, it's tough to criticize because, I mean, you write characters for a specific purpose. Um, and, uh, you know, George maybe is showing his <laughs> his true colors within these characters, but they do kind of serve the purpose. Um so I, I don't have a huge problem with either of them, um, though I, I do understand the criticism. Well, even the Gungans, that, that's probably the worst. And I've the feeling was really affirmed on that episode of SEN with the uh, the voice um, impersonator. You've seen it with like Jar Jar Binks. Oh, yeah, yeah, voiced yeah. by, uh, um, what's his name? Uh, best. No, no, no. No, who's, uh, who's the... Um, the Ted, help me out here. You know I, what I'm talking I, about. I know who you're talking about, and I remember the episode. I just don't remember the name. Who's oh, you talking the, about the no, impressionist? Yeah, the impressionist. Yeah. I, I don't care oh, about his name. I'm talking about who's the the actor that he does the voice oh, impression. Oh, Morgan of. Freeman. Morgan Freeman oh, is George oh, Urbanks. Thank you. Yeah. yeah, that was like yikes, yikes. That now I I hear the racism. I hear where it is. Pull, you know, uh, drawing from the Jamaican accent, uh, and like it just not not good and those were okay choices in hollywood at that time so it didn't matter it just didn't matter yeah well times they have a changed. they have <laughs> um any other thoughts before we get into rankings i had just one more and i mentioned it to you guys before we started recording but i just don't like uh how in like 10 to 15 minutes at the end of Revenge of the Sith, which is my favorite movie of this series. I'll give a little spoiler on my rankings there. That we've got all these awesome action set pieces and the fall of Anakin to Darth Vader, but then 
we just have to tie everything up with a nice bow and wrap things up and tie off loose ends. And it's just a lot of like sequential putting people into starting position for the OT for a new hope. So you've got Yoda who fails against Sidious and he literally says, failed I have into exile I must go. And it's just like on the nose. And then later him and Bale and Obi-Wan meet together. And like, they're this little committee of people who are like putting everybody in starting positions. So like, what are we going to do with these children? Uh, well, I, here's Bale Organa speaking. I've always wanted a daughter me and my wife have, and we're, we're not able to have one. We'll take her. And it's just like, no, no argument. Just we'll take her. This very influential family who could like very easily be found out has this very important child to the universe. And, and then even worse, arguably in like there are other implications here too, but Oh, what are we going to do with the boy? Well, let's just give it to his uh, step uncle. Eh. Let's just throw him on that old desert planet and see how he does. And then, like, I I guess the only saving grace of that is, like, Obi-Wan's like, I'm going to creepily watch over him while he's there, at least. And uh, I I don't know. And that's coupled with, as well, like, when Padme Padme is giving birth to the children and dying, like, uh, whatever you feel about the losing the will to live, like, she just pops one out. Luke pops another one out. Leia It's like man just so sloppy how they push into the ot and and i wish there would have been more thought and uh care given to that than there was i don't know if you guys think otherwise or agree on that or even just like cut it sooner like i'd said like where does the the ted you know cut version of this right uh you know, where do you end the story? So that way, like, we know where these characters are going to up. We see them get there uh, or not. We don't see them get there, but we see them there. And I think you could probably let the audience figure out some of those things, uh, like how they went about doing it or just maybe um, tell a better version than what gets told in the last five minutes. Yeah. Well, you just said, we're, what's the tag cut? I'll, I'll try to give you what I would do here quickly. So I, I like with Vader ending for the most part with him yelling i hate you at obi-wan and then we just get not not even the the painful scene of anakin being operated on we just see the mask being put on and that's Mm. it um and then for uh luke being passed off to his aunt and uncle you can have that you can have that scene of obi-wan doing that but you don't need the scene beforehand where you've got the committee of rebels meeting up together to discuss it. You don't need Yoda saying failed. I have going into exile that there is a cut scene of Yoda landing on Dagobah. You could, you, you could have used that. I, I think there are better ways to tell a story than telling people strictly. Yeah. This is what's happening. You can use visuals. You can use all that stuff. Cause I, I do like that. They end on the binary sons on Tatooine. I, I like that part of it, but there are some things you can cut out of there without compromising how we feel about it you can have padme dying there and i i don't know how you do the naming thing um it maybe they're in a tough spot with that one but maybe you just don't do it maybe you just don't do it and you find out later on maybe that uh, luke and leia were named by their respective new surrogate parents i don't know 
There are just different things you could have done with it. You could have had some of the same stuff and just cut out some of it. Cut out some of that fat, I guess. Yeah. All right, so uh, let's wrap things up here for uh, the first part of the episode and uh, rank these movies. Uh, so, Andy, why don't you start off with your rankings? Oh, so in terms of Star Wars movie rankings, I, these are kind of all at the bottom of the overall <laughs> Star Wars list. Uh, I don't even like think of it as like a number anymore. It's more of like the movies that I, I really like for certain reasons, the ones that are OK and then the ones I don't really care for. All three of these movies wind up there. So to order them, I guess I would go three, one, two. And the one and two thing is like just really hard to figure out where I'm at on any given day of which part of what movie I don't like more. Um, like in particular on this rewatch, I actually really liked how it seemed that there was a lot of um, like the CGI was better the story although it like went in all of like a zany way it was about like anakin skywalker as like an actual jedi now um there's more story to it so there are things that although i really find cringeworthy in episode two uh episode one just like child anakin doesn't work for me and the story is all over the place and it's way too much and not enough time for everything george wants to do in it so uh it falls just probably as the last because it just it doesn't hit it's not star wars I think Ted, you said this at some point in the the TED or the the TED talk, the the podcast here, uh, which is a TED talk, um, that like it just didn't feel like something for you, and that's just like I felt that way too. It doesn't feel like Star Wars; like it feels like it's something else, and they're just like Star Wars characters here, uh, trying to pretend to be Star Wars. So that's my ranking for you. What about you guys? Zach, you want to go first? Uh sure um yeah i actually have a very similar rank it's, it's weird star wars movies for star wars fans like people put such a hard number on these sometimes um but uh yeah i i, I actually agree with you Andy. i think they should be more like just put into buckets rather than yep. you know uh labeled numerically but since that's what we're doing is labeling them numerically um my my favorite is uh is Revenge of the Sith. I th I think it's really hard to debate anything that being the best one of this trilogy. Um it's just a m much more fleshed out movie than the others. Um and then 1 and 2 are so hard to rank. Um but I guess I would uh, um I I would choose uh, Attack of the Clones and then um the phantom menace um attack of the clones i just i just think has a, a more direct impact on anakin's character and his arc um so i think that that makes it a little better for me plus i i really like geonosis i actually think that's one of the um one of the uh, easily the best part in that movie i think um but uh, you know there's some, there's some really good highlights in in attack of the clones um whereas in um it's well i should say same thing in in uh the phantom menace there's a lot of good highlights in there but it's not as directly impactful to the overall story um like even in uh you know you hear a lot of people say the uh what's that word the is it the katana order or whatever machete machete yeah. order yeah like you can leave out number one uh yeah. phantom menace um you know i i i've never really done that but um 
it is true. I mean, it's not super impactful to the story. Um, you know, there's a lot of parts that I like about it. I love Qui-Gon Jinn. He's my favorite Jedi in, in the prequel trilogy. But still, um, I I appreciate the impact of Attack of the Clones more. So I would that, that would be my ranking. Uh, Revenge of the Sith, Attack of the Clones, The Phantom Menace. I can understand that. Your rationale is pretty good as far as uh, Attack of the Clones. Specifically, like, it, the being able to leave out episode one, because there are things to like about it, but as far as the impact on the overall story, it, it's minimal, for sure. Like, Qui-Gon Jinn's probably the biggest part of that, but he doesn't really even get mentioned very much as we go forward. It's really just his kind of presence is left on the fans and the story overall, just because he is the one who initially wants Anakin as a student. Um, for my rankings, they're going to be the same as Andy's. It's going to be 3-1-2. Revenge of the Sith, outside of that last sequence where it just feels sloppy like I talked about, pretty good movie. Pretty good movie. Surprising that it is part of this prequel trilogy because it, as much as they get dumped on, I think Revenge of the Sith comes much closer to the quality that we expect from a Star Wars overall as far as the storytelling, the acting, everything. I think more of the characters come into their own by the end of it. Uh, you know, Hayden Christensen's a much better actor at that point. He's doing a much better job of portraying close to the Vader character. I think Natalie Portman's at her best in this one, whether you like Padme overall or not. She's at least at her best acting-wise. And then Ewan McGregor just so good. He is so good throughout the entire series, but specifically in Revenge of the Sith, you just feel the emotion from him. Feel that connection. Even if we don't get a lot of that story in it, you feel it. Um, and then Phantom Menace is forgettable, but you get strong characters like Qui-Gon Jinn, and you get really strong action set pieces. And I really enjoy that from it. Specifically, just... Any of the Qui-Gon versus Darth Maul battles and uh I don't know, I, I kinda like the little scene where uh that the little the, the Nabooans are uh escaping the droids uh using their little um suction cup uh grappling hooks outside of the window. I, I think that's a funny scene where they're all going up at the same time very slowly. I don't know, I, I just like some of that stuff. I think it's kind of fun. Attack of the Clones doesn't do much for me. There's better action, but the whole thing with Anakin, since he's such a focus of that movie, and because you do not believe him and you do not believe the love story, it's really hard for me to get behind it. And I, I think that one suffers too as far as being super busy. We talked about the Geonosis scene. Like There are things to like about that scene, but they're also, like again, just... Jedi flailing everywhere and it's a lot going on it's hard to keep track of it's it's meant to be really cool it's meant to be awesome because you're seeing uh, a lot of jedi at the same time but you don't really get much um so yeah those are my rankings it is hard though like you guys said to like rank these movies because they're all pieces of one overarching story here within the star wars saga and stuff later on um, so for our next episode, we thought we'd stay kind of culturally relevant, uh, maybe a month or so behind here, but the Snyder Cut came out, uh, not too long ago, 
uh, for the Justice League, and all of us watched that, and uh, we actually enjoyed it quite a bit compared to uh, the original cut of that. And our very first episode of Franchise Flicks was talking about the DCEU, so we thought it'd be a good idea to kind of do a little bit of a rewind, revisit the DCEU and this newest part of it. Thought about doing Wonder Woman 84 as part of it as well, but the Snyder Cut is a four-hour movie. It's about the size of a series altogether. We were talking about before, like Bill and Ted... Uh, runtime overall for that entire series goes just a half an hour beyond that four hours. So it, it would would have been a lot to do Snyder Cut and Wonder Woman 84. So we'll probably revisit that one again when we get a few more DCEU movies. Uh, but we thought it'd be good to uh, kind of go back and compare to that Joss Whedon cut of the movie and uh, talk about this new one. So uh, we're definitely excited about that. And uh, I guess before we wrap up uh, this episode, is, is there anything you guys want to plug or anything? Uh, I know there's some new stuff going on specifically for you, Zach. Yeah, well, um, I, I just started uh, a Twitch channel, so you can catch me at um, twitch.tv slash grandmothzeezy, Z-E-E-Z-Y. Um, I stream uh, mostly political content. Uh, we go over news and uh, and studies and research and all sorts of stuff like that. So it's a lot of fun. Not a lot of Star Wars, but um, it, it's uh, we we have we have fun. Um, the uh, you can also uh, check out the Sacred Jedi Text podcast, uh, which is the All Star Wars Book Club, um, and uh, both Andy and Ted join me on that as well. So um, you can follow follow us on Twitter at at sacred jedi text um for more info uh you could follow me at darth buckman at pretty much every platform that exists i'm not really on twitter or anything like that but i'm on there uh but find me on tiktok and twitch that's really where most of the content comes and a new twitch streaming schedule at some point will be posted on my discord so there you go very cool very cool well, as always, thanks for joining us. Be sure to like and subscribe on YouTube and also follow and subscribe to us on whatever you like to listen to your podcasts on. And be sure to check us for our next one on the Snyder Cut. Thanks. <laughs>